today on Doomed! The long-awaited New York primary day is less than a week away. And on this episode of Doomed, well, we were going to talk with two insurgent progressive U.S. congressional challengers, but we're delivering you one, and it's going to be a good one. Lauren Ashcraft, who's running in the New York Congressional District 12, will be joining the show to discuss her campaign, the incumbent she's running against, and, you know, uh, one question I really want to ask her, actually, is how life changed for a campaign running before and then after, well, during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Without any further ado, let me pull us both up on the screen here. Uh, Actually, let me first explain, because I was promoting two candidates earlier in the day. Uh, Lindsay Boylan will be joining us uh, another day. She had something come up, and uh, we'll be rescheduling with her. But that doesn't make me any less excited to talk with you, Lauren. Lauren Ashcraft, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm glad it worked out this way because we just get more time to talk just uh, you and me. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> now, I, I want to start with, um, you know, I, let's start with this, actually. There was just, you just, uh, well, the New York One debate that you took part in just aired yesterday. And I know from speaking with some other candidates that just getting a debate, especially this year with everything going on, just getting a debate as a primary challenger with some of these incumbents has been near impossible. But you and I believe the other challengers were, were on the debate as well, but you, you guys pulled it off and got the debate with the incumbent in New York Congressional District 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think that the voters deserve to have um, the candidates kind of talk about the differences in their platform. So I'm, I'm glad we got to have it. There was actually two debates and Congresswoman Maloney um, did not make the first one. Um, but yesterday, the New York One debate did air and I hope I hope people tune in and watch the rerun and it's a, it's available at NewYorkOne.com. Now, t- tell me a little bit about uh, who uh, who you are, why you're running. And let's let's leave it there before I throw too much at you at once. <laughs> so people who are tuning um, in who may not have, because I've seen you around on on Twitter. I just mentioned earlier that you know I, I've uh, noticed you, uh, I recognized you at uh, New York uh, Queens DSA meetings. Uh, but for people who didn't see you at a Queens DSA meeting or on Twitter, explain who you are and why you're running. Yeah, so I grew up part of a family that just went completely ignored by the government. And like on one side of my family, my grandfather was killed in a coal mining accident and I never had the privilege of meeting him. And my grandmother, um, an immigrant from Japan, faced a lot of xenophobia and racism, even when she was mourning her husband and trying to figure out how to put food on her table. Um, And on the other side of my family, my grandfather fell while he was working and became a quadriplegic. And he couldn't hire a caretaker because that costs a lot of money, especially if you lose your income, you can't afford that. So his caretakers were all of us. And I just grew up understanding that the government isn't there. And it's, it's a pretty sad realization to have. And then whenever I saw people like Bernie Sanders campaigning and talking about how 
our politics are so heavily influenced by corporate money and, um, you know, the, the huge wealth gap that really resonated with me. And I started getting more involved in politics. Um, and that was also around the time that I was working in the financial sector as well. And I was just having this whole realization of how broken our system is because in one year I'm hearing about how terrible it is that corporate money is muddying our politics. I go to work every day and I see that people are being laid off all around me and they're citing that the company didn't have the revenue that they were expecting. And then you look in the newspaper and you see that the CEOs and senior executives are, are boasting about record bonuses record stock buybacks, record pay raises, and everything in my brain snapped. I, uh, I became a democratic socialist and um, got really involved in organizing in my community. I'm a stand-up comedian, so it looked a little different from other people's organizing. We had shows that would, uh, every single show would feature a different nonprofit in the community that we're, we were helping to fundraise for, or recruit volunteers for. A lot of them were soup kitchens or organizations fighting for civil rights or um, women's rights. And um, that was a way that I felt like we were starting to fight back. Then Donald Trump was elected to office and uh, it's pretty scary to see your bodily autonomy always on the chopping block as, as a woman. And to know that somebody who brags about sexually assaulting women is our president, I got really involved in helping to organize the Women's March on New York. So um, all of that together, just it, it was a slow build to me deciding that I couldn't sit this one out, that other, you know, our neighboring district, New York 14, has a representative that's made the Green New Deal part of our everyday conversation. Nothing's come out of our district like that. Who is that you're possibly talking about? I don't <laughs> I don't know if I, uh, I follow. <laughs> just, just, like, just like the only person that is known by AOC. So. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But like she wasn't even in office yet, but she made that part of our everyday conversation. You know what the Green New Deal is. I know what the Green New Deal is. What, ha what conversation has Carolyn Maloney started? I couldn't think of anything. I even Googled it. Couldn't think of a thing. Right. And so I'm running and I'm fighting for accessibility and disability rights. I'm fighting for single-payer Medicare for All and a Green New Deal. And I'm fighting for true criminal justice reform, which my opponent has a terrible record on. And I um, you know, called her out and got her to slap the table and start yelling in the debate. I encourage you all to watch it. She didn't really like to be called out, but I'm not going to stop doing it because it's not acceptable that she voted for the crime bill and then voted just five years ago to militarize the police. Right. And then within the last two weeks has co-sponsored bills that helped to demilitarize the police. But where were you? Right. That's exactly why we do this. That's why we primary is we have these inactive leaders that are just getting politically pressured into doing the right things sometimes. But we deserve to have somebody who gets into office with a vision. And my vision is equality and closing that wealth gap and making sure that people who've gone oppressed and marginalized and ignored all this time, like my family and like my neighbors, finally have a fighter 
fighting for them and the federal government. Now we're going to make a little bit of history. Now you said Carolyn uh, Maloney has never been, you know, on the on the forefront of a conversation. We're about to make her the topic of this conversation right now. So <laughs> <laughs> not the convo she probably wants to have, but uh, yeah. So what for people who are unfamiliar with her? You just mentioned some some things about her, but for people who are unfamiliar with her, um, why why why? run against i mean other than you live in the district obviously so you you but why specifically should you know tell us a bit about maloney and why people should vote for her to to for you over her yeah i mean her record is terrible and um if you can't think of what your representative's vision is then their vision is probably to stay in office and i I've been on on this uh, you know crusade for a year and a half of my life, and I've read her her decisions and her votes, and I I know like everything she's voted for backwards and forwards. I don't know why she's running again. I'm being completely honest. I don't know what her vision is. It changes sometimes if she's being politically pressured. She's accepted money from Donald Trump. She's accepted money from. Bloomberg and um, John Katsimatidis and then calls herself a progressive. It doesn't make sense. You voted for the crime bill for the Iraq war. You've helped to repeal the Glass-Steagall Act, which allowed the fraud, corruption and corporate greed that caused the 2008 Great Recession. And then you voted to increase the military budget and that surplus military equipment and weapons, you voted to flow to local police forces. I don't understand how that's progressive. I I don't get it. If someone could explain it to me, I'm all ears. Right. Do, do you know if she started calling herself a progressive, uh, oh, say, around 2016? I think, I mean, I think it was probably like 2018. <laughs> oh, okay, there like, we go. Yeah. I, I'm, alluding, I mean, I'm alluding to the fact that ever since, you know, Bernie Sanders created a whole, you know, I wouldn't say create, but I think there were a lot of people who were on the left and were progressives who uh, were were vocal about it during the Obama years. And then there were even more who weren't vocal about it during the Obama years. And then Bernie Sanders runs and all those people who were vocal about it all of a sudden look around and see a whole bunch of people uh, coming out and saying, you know what, I am a progressive. And all of a sudden we have we have a movement uh, exactly. that, that honestly disappeared when Obama came into office, truthfully. I mean, there was a, a huge anti-war left during the Bush era, and then Obama gets into office, and I feel like uh, people sort of thought that, you know, it, it, the Democrats would just deliver now. And, of course, we all know how that turned out. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's a word that I think if you accept corporate PAC money, like if you're getting on the Bernie train, if you accept corporate PAC money, that's like rule number one, you're breaking. (laughs) If you call yourself a progressive, but you, I think my opponent has taken over $700,000 in corporate PAC dollars this cycle alone. What? Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lifelong New Yorker. I'm very, I've been doing this, you know, for a very long time. I, I know a lot of, the uh, names in this city, uh, you know, Congress people, you know, senators, local representatives, statewide representatives, 
Maloney has always just been a name that I, I knew because of who she is, but I honestly could not attach her to a specific thing if you asked me to. Like, like you said, she's never been at the forefront of a conversation. She's just there. Right. right. <laughs> and and what what she, you know she is representative and you're running for uh congressional district 12. What encompasses district 12? Now now uh let's try to be a little bit more uh uh specific about it in terms of people who maybe not are, are not from New York uh in terms okay. of like you know what boroughs and and all that just not you know neighborhoods. I would get it, but some people listening to this show might not. Yeah, so it's most it's a lot of the east side of Manhattan, western Queens and North Brooklyn. So if you look at a map and you see two rivers going on either side of Manhattan, it's like if you would draw a circle around the East River. And it also has a Roosevelt Island that sits in the middle of that river too. So um, that's for the non-New Yorkers, but for the New Yorkers, it's uh, parts of Greenpoint, Williamsburg, Long Island City. Uh, Lower East Side, Midtown East, Upper East Side, Astoria, Long Island City, Roosevelt Island. <laughs> now that's that's a very interesting district because you have on the Queens end a lot of young progressives, um, and then on the Manhattan end, I feel like that's that's where there's more wealthy uh, Manhattanites. Is that correct? You know, I. Um... We have a lot of conversations with people all over the district, and I think the stereotype exists, and certainly um, wealth is more heavily concentrated in the Upper East Side, and um, the other areas of the district are, um, a lot of people are quite bluntly struggling to stay here, and, and struggling struggling to make it and pay their rent. So um, unfortunately, there is that stereotype that it's a wealthy district, um, but I, based on my experiences, it, it's, it's very, very not true. And I've spoken with so many people that, um, are literally on the verge of homelessness, which, uh, ex- these are the exact people that I'm fighting for. Right. Um, I'm yeah. Actually, so Upper East, I'm actually, not to cut you and, off, but I'm actually really glad you brought that yeah, up because I think a lot of people, when they look at, you know, rent prices in New York and they see, you know, a, a, an apartment that rents, you know, four or five, six thousand dollars a month. They're like, oh, whoever's living there must be rich. But then you look into it and it's like split between four or five, six, seven different people who are, you know, all living in this uh, th- this uh, apartment that is not four or five, six, seven bedrooms. You know, it's that's a great point. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people share studios with one, two people. It's um, people are just really struggling to hang on, especially since so many people have lost their jobs and have been furloughed because of coronavirus. Um, this district's taking a huge hit and quite frankly, a lot of people, a lot of volunteers have had to relocate outside of the city. Um, and literally we're on the verge of homelessness and I know so many people still are. So it's, it's really upsetting that I don't feel we've had someone really fighting for us. And when I think about the fact that so many families are living off of that $1,200 check from March that they maybe got. Um, and that's how they're supposed to pay rent for the last four months. Um, every one of us should be angry and vote your representatives out. That's disgusting. But, um, I mean, as a representative, I just couldn't sleep at night knowing that my district is so affected by an economic and health crisis that most of them can't pay rent right now. Right. 
Now let's 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 talk about that now. I wasn't planning on getting into this so soon, but I think it's it's that's that's the perfect segue right there. And you know, what has your experience been in your congressional district? I mean, you've already mentioned a little bit of it, but maybe in more detail in terms of. You know, uh, how are people holding up right now with the, the coronavirus? You had mentioned that there are people worried about losing their home, people who are struggling to get by. Um, what What is the, you know, do you, do you notice a, a, a contrast between um, the Manhattan side and the, the Queen side? Or give us a little mm. bit more about what you see in your district. Yeah, I mean, I think most of the wealth is concentrated on the Upper East Side. Um, but that doesn't mean that, um, everybody in the Upper East Side is wealthy. There certainly are um, people that are sharing apartments and um, working class and young and in school and things like that. So um, it's really hard to say that one side of the river is, is not struggling, but one is. But, um, I mean, Billionaire Row is in Manhattan and, and that belongs to our district. Trump's penthouse is in our district. Bloomberg lives in the district. So um, we have, you know, the median income is. Have you checked? Pretty have you checked on Bloomberg to see how he's holding up? Have you uh-huh. checked to see how? He- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's doing fine. <laughs> I think so. Although he might be a little bit sad that uh, it's apparently the Biden campaign isn't going to use his billion-dollar political tech firm. Which imagine imagine putting all that money into a tech firm with the single goal of believing the Democratic candidate for president is going to definitely pay you to use it, and then they don't. A little bit, a little bit of that. In, I enjoy that, but that's a, that's another story. <laughs> yeah, I just um, I, I I I'm also like on a crusade about saying that you can't earn a billion dollars. There's just no way to do it. Um, you exploit it. And that is just becoming so evident when we know that the country's billionaires have increased their wealth so much during this crisis, while the average person is struggling and is losing their income and millions and millions of people are unemployed right now. And I think about Jeff Bezos being well on his way to becoming the world's first trillionaire. And literally, I saw that page that you know, they were asking for donations so that Amazon workers could have paid leave. Right. He, he could personally pay for that. And that's exactly how you become a billionaire slash trillionaire is you cheat people out of the benefits that they deserve. Right. I'm very passionate about this. No, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to make one remark and then we're going to jump into the next thing. And it's very Bezos uh, related. Uh, <laughs> What I want to say is uh, that you bring Bezos up is that I, I read it not long ago. I, I, I think it was right before the coronavirus uh, pandemic hit here. And I read a quote from him. I don't remember the exact quote, but it was a question about why he was uh, putting all this money into his space exploration project that he had. And it was simply something like, you know, I don't know what to do with all this money. Uh, hello? You have a company where you're literally raising funds from average Americans to pay them yeah. uh, during the vir- coronavirus, to pay your workers during the coronavirus, and you're saying that you can't find a good use to put your billions of dollars? I mean, come on, buddy. It's ridiculous, and I've had the pleasure and honor of speaking with Chris Smalls, who lost his job for protesting to stand up for the safety of his coworkers. 
And I think about the fact that uh, Amazon is just such a terrible employer. And that's what happens if you stand up for your safety as you lose your job. And that's exactly, it's exactly what it means <laughs> to be a billionaire in today's society is you're cheating people out of having a, a livable wage, you're cheating them out of benefits, and you're cheating them out of safety. Right. That's that's the kind of world that we live in right now, and that's why I'm, that's why I'm doing this. <laughs> no, no, you are in the district. So you you would represent the district where the infamous uh, Amazon HQ two was supposed to be built. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Now let's let's talk a little bit about that. Now I've done a, a few ep- uh, episodes actually on that, um, and you know it, it was stunning to me to see just such a, a stark contrast actually in how even New Yorkers sort of sort of viewed it. I feel like people who were really plugged in to the the political world understood the ramifications of that uh, headquarters opening up in Long Island City. And mm-hmm. then there were a lot of New Yorkers who probably consider themselves to be liberal, uh, maybe even some progressive, who just didn't get why th- you wouldn't want 25,000 paying, uh, paying jobs to come to your, your city. Now, <laughs> let, let's, let's talk about what, you know, so what, how did you feel about the Amazon HQ2? I mean, I, I could guess, but <laughs> let's, <laughs> yeah. let's hear it from you, though, just to be safe. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I thought it was completely ridiculous that we were rolling out the red carpet and offering tax incentives and so much money so that Amazon would want to have a headquarters in New York City. Of course they want to be in New York City. (laughs) This is the center of the universe. If you want to be here, then you can come, but you don't get a cent from me. (laughs) So whenever I think about the fact, I'm thankful they didn't end up coming here because I live in Long Island City. And I wouldn't be able to pay my rent. Talk about plopping down, which, by the way, those 25,000 jobs, we found out because our electeds didn't bother to ask. We found out that those 25,000 jobs were mostly 25,000 people that they were going to bring and plop down in the middle of Long Island City. Right. Where I live. There also was no guarantee it'd be 25,000. Like we get like the city, the, the state guaranteed Amazon the incentives like those were written in stone like that was this is what you get yeah yet, yet the pro it was but it was like uh but from them what we got was like we're gonna try to get you twenty five thousand jobs and you're just gonna <laughs> go out there and say we're bringing twenty five thousand jobs like it was unbelievable so also like since when do we trust amazon to like make good on their promises look they're starving people of having paid leave during the largest pandemic that we've ever seen in our life. Right. We're right. going to trust these people. Right. Like it's, it's obviously they don't care about worker safety and they don't care about um, allowing their workers to have a livable wage. And I don't trust them with anything that they say they're going to do. If you want to come to New York City, then come and then you pay your fair share of taxes. And that's how it works. Right. I mean, you, you had mentioned how it was go, it would have, if they opened up their headquarters there and brought those twenty five thousand uh, techies from uh, from Washington, uh, you know, th- th- then you know you would have been displaced. 
But I think a lot of totally. people. But I think a lot of people didn't even. But I think that's what people thought. Like, oh yeah, it's gonna affect Long Island City. No, it was gonna be like I'm in I'm in Flushing, Queens, and awesome. it, it would have been like a tsunami. You would have seen just the entirety of Queens, like like pushed out. You would have had the seven train been inundated with more and more mm. people using it. It's already totally. unbearable to use the seven train. Well, even before the coronavirus, I haven't been on the seven since. I can't imagine totally. getting back on the seven. The seven is like, a, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like I, this- I agree. By the time it makes it to Long Island City, like you can't get in. Right. <laughs> it's so full. So imagine you had like all these people who always lived in Long Island City pushed out further into Queens. On top of that, those 25,000 people, if it was even, or however many Amazon got, not all of them were going to be, uh, you know, wealthy enough to move into Long Island City uh, and buy up all the big expensive condos. They would have had to also probably live in the, uh, some of the more affordable areas of Queens and the surrounding uh, neighborhoods. And that would have, again, just, it would have been like, it would have been like a wave that just changed Queens uh, forever, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's exactly why I believe Representative Ocasio-Cortez fought so hard against it, is uh, she knew it would impact her district as well. And I'm thankful she fought for my district because my representative certainly didn't. And she was, even on the debate, I really encourage everyone to watch it, but on the debate, she was saying things like, all jobs are good jobs. Why are you protesting jobs? Um, hello, have you heard of Chris Smalls? Have you heard of Googling what it's like to work for Amazon in a warehouse? And I think you would be shocked to understand what everyday people face in the workplace. That's why we need people who are connected to everyday issues. And, and if you're so far from, removed from that, then, then what are you doing? The argument that why would you protest jobs seems like the same argument probably happened back when people were protesting for, I don't know, uh, basic labor laws, child labor laws, uh, 40-hour work week, weekends. I mean, yeah. it, seems, it seems like, you know, if you were back then and you were protesting like, I don't want to work 80 hours a week, and you know, then someone exactly. would have been like, oh, why are you protesting jobs? Why so are it's you a bizarre... protesting this work? <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean... Yeah, I'm sure a lot of coal miners and other people doing dangerous jobs protested their jobs a lot throughout the years, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my grandfather was literally killed in a coal mining accident. So I, right. um, I, I, I take worker safety very seriously. It's a very personal thing to my family. And having had those conversations with Chris Smalls and understanding the kind of environment that he was forced to work in for him to speak up and then get fired about it. Like we don't, we don't want Amazon here. Like we're not going to roll out the red carpet for you to come and abuse my neighbors. Right. Right. So you had mentioned, you brought up the debate again. I just want, before I forget, I wanted to ask earlier, you had said, I obviously want everyone to still watch the debate because the explanation is <laughs> not going to be enough. But I meant to ask you earlier, you just gave me the second shot. What did you say that had her pounding on the desk? I forgot to ask. <laughs> um, I asked her about her criminal justice reform platform and how she voted for the crime bill, which you and I both know has really negatively impacted communities of color across this entire country. Even still today, it has uh, ramifications um, and and then I 
talked about how she literally voted to militarize the police and how she, um, in two weeks, signed on to some, some changes to her record. And I asked her how she thought we were supposed to believe she would lead the fight against police brutality when she's been such a slow actor to correct her own mistakes. And she just started talking about paid parental leave and started slapping her desk. And I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> it was definitely a, a, an interesting moment. Right, I still don't like, have the answer. Sounds like some <laughs> frustration that, 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 that right, there, there wasn't an answer to give. So No, but yeah. we know that she cares about paid parental leave, which I would hope everyone does. Right. So... I, I noticed that there were a few uh, attacks that you were uh, forced to debunk on your Twitter page recently, and, and you brought up earlier that you would come out of the financial sector. Um, yeah. I, I, could you explain uh, a little bit about about what that attack is on you? Because uh, I mean, I have something to say about it uh, in terms of <laughs> you know, just I just think it's. Let, let me hear from you first, and then we'll... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's... I, you know, I used to work for for a big bank, and personally, I understand why people don't like big banks, and I, I also don't. Um, I think about what it's like to pay your rent in your 12th congressional district, and I have an outbox um, of hundreds of job applications to jobs I would have loved, that I never heard back from. But unfortunately, we live in a society where you either have a job to pay your rent or you don't, and you can't pay your rent. So I worked in a bank for a little bit of time and uh, about a year, I think it was. Very, not that long. I was a project you, manager. You worked at a bank for a year? Yeah, I know. A whole year? Yeah. yeah. I was a project manager in the legal department and um, crunched Excel spreadsheets all day looking at um, le like legal regulations being fo followed. And um, that comes uh, also, up a lot. Also, I see you're in cahoots with big Microsoft Office. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, yeah, I just, um, you know what? There are a lot of people that were radicalized inside of a bank. I'm one of them. And um, a lot of this district has worked in the financial sector um, and no longer works there, like myself, and understands very well where I'm coming from. <laughs> um, but it's, it's come up a lot, and it's interesting. It's from two opponents. And I think it's like what they have on me or something, but it's, it's been an interesting and repetitive conversation. Um, there are rumors that I am doing this to help big banks out, which I haven't quite figured out the logic for, <laughs> but it's entertaining, and I appreciate um, the tenacity. Right, right. Yeah, but what, what I have to say about it is I remember back in, um, I mean, the idea that, you know, obviously if there were some sort of ties you still had to a bank, there would be some issues, but I doubt your one-year job entrenched you into... <laughs> The uh, you know I don't think you got Jamie Dimon on uh, speed dial. Uh, no, also like I've been running for Congress longer than I worked for a bank. Right, and, and um and Congress is corrupt. 
honestly, when I look at how broken Congress is and how many representatives shouldn't be there, like I'm running, I'm applying for that job. Clearly I'm there trying to change something, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's been interesting. Well, you saw, you saw, I don't know if you saw that um, there was an ad uh, that just was released right before we went on the air attacking uh, Jamal Bowman, who's running in the Bronx. Um, and I know you are, I know you know him. I think I've seen you guys do, oh, yeah. do various things together. You, the progressive insurgents stick together. I like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And we're all on the brand new Congress slate together. So we're, right. we're tight. Right. So there was a, there's a, a pack that it put out an ad attacking him for having something like $2,000 in unpaid taxes from years and years ago that he didn't even know about that once he saw the ad, he was like, oh, I didn't know about this. And he paid it. He paid the two, $2,000. And it was like, he doesn't wow. even pay his taxes and he wants to spend yours. <laughs> it's like, come on, $2,000. That's like, you know how much money is being probably uh, pumped into, you know how much money was probably uh, pumped into that tax campaign to help angle out i mean it's ridiculous <laughs> they could have just paid his taxes off for him <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah, and silly. and saved and saved probably like 10 times the money <laughs> it's it's really silly how much time and money is wasted on just smearing people but if you had a vision if you had a vision for your district and you weren't just caught on a hot mic saying you don't care then maybe you wouldn't be so scared of Jamal Bowman, but he's doing a great job. Right, right. Now, it, it is interesting, though, how progressives such as you know yourself and Jamal, who, who run, are, are held to a different standard by the very establishment who, who basically has no standards. I mean, look at, look at how Bernie was always, uh, Bernie Sanders was always, uh, you, know, you know, attacked, basically, for... Maybe not being always uh, woke enough in rhetoric for a 70-something-year-old mm. man. Whereas if you looked at his policies, they actually lined up with exactly what people complained they wanted from him. Whereas his opponents, who the complainers would vote for, did not provide those policies. It always was like so uh, you know, en enraging to me that this was the, these were the attacks on progressives. Yeah, no, I, you're right that um, people running moral campaigns are held to a different standard. And, you know, I, a lot of families have back taxes to pay. I really don't, they're just showing that he's normal. So I don't really understand how all of these attack ads and smears are, are, are going to hurt us. But here we are, we're normal people. <laughs> running to to represent normal people and maybe it's best that way that you're not represented by somebody worth 30 million dollars that doesn't fight for her district to be able to pay their bills during a pandemic right i, I know you say you're normal lauren but have you considered <laughs> that you worked a year at a bank <laughs> i mean yeah. what, what i wanted to bring up when, when you told me this was i remember back during the occupy wall street days in, in 2011 and 2012 that some of the the smartest activist voices 
who were given a platform in the media to talk about this, and rarely did they they choose the 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 smartest financial minds to represent Occupy in the media, because of course they wanted to portray them as a bunch of know nothing protesters. <laughs> uh, but the smartest minds in the protests, who who helped form a lot of the the demands that Occupy was seeking, um, they actually came out of finance, the financial sector and they saw Occupy and said, finally, something where I can say, I can't do this anymore, I'm part of something. And, and I've spoken to some of those people back then when I worked at the Majority Report, had them on the show, talked to, talked to them. And, you know, it, the idea that someone can't work somewhere or be a part of something that they're against and then take that information they learn and come out and, and really be like sort of a class traitor, even if they're not, you know, even if they don't belong to that class, <laughs> is is ridiculous because that's that's the best kind of ally you can have, to be quite honest. Someone who yeah. knows how the system works from the inside and wants to change it. I mean, that's exactly what I plan to do. I would love to sit in the financial services committee, knowing everything that I know, and make sure that Wall Street is regulated in a way that it's not right now. And we are all still exposed, all of us as consumers and everyday people living in the United States as taxpayers, we're all exposed to the irresponsible decisions that these people at the very top of these companies continue to make. And they throw a lot of this money at people like my opponent who turns around and helps to deregulate Wall Street as she did when she repealed the Glass-Steagall Act. So I just... It's, it's a terrible cycle, and I've seen it with my own eyes, and I'm disgusted, so I'm running for Congress. I like it. So we talked about the coronavirus earlier, but I wanted to ask you specifically, we talked about how you know, your district was handling it, how your, uh, who your constituents would be, the people you're meeting, how they're, how they're holding up, and what they're experiencing. But I want to know how, what, what was your experience as someone running for office— uh, running, you know, for a congressional U.S. congressional seat, uh, how things changed when the coronavirus pandemic hit New York. You know, what was it like before and then during for for someone trying to, you know, meet people and, and try mm-hmm. to get them to know who you are? I mean, um, the strength of a grassroots movement is always at the door. So it was really. Um, Like, if we had our way, we would have been able to meet people at their doors the entire time. But um, we definitely switched right away to prioritize people's safety and also our volunteer and team safety as well. And we switched to be 100% digital really quickly and did phone and text banking instead. And so we've been able to reach most of our, our universe either through text, phone, mailers, email, digital ads. Um, and we, I'm, I'm pretty confident that, that we have a path, path to victory. And especially if you're watching this right now and you want to help make sure that we do, sign up to do some of that phone and text banking with us at act.lauranashcalf.com. But um, we also did switch. I got really involved uh, in mutual aid in my community and help to pack meals for families who needed it. And um, we also did wellness checks for about two months. Um, Instead of just straight up phone banking, it was wellness checks on people in the community, seeing how we can help and what resources we could connect them with. Right, it does seem like a double-edged sword for a progressive, like a a challenger campaign, because 
Yes, like you mentioned, there is that 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 grassroots on the ground uh, work that that you know uh, a campaign such as yours does so well. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I'm sure you were also able to transition to a full-on digital uh, uh, organizing uh, platform much quicker than, let's say, uh, Caroline Maloney. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we're really excited. We have the largest social media presence in the race. And um, I think it is. It's, it's because we have an amazing group, an amazing movement behind our campaign that I... I, I'm not quite sure what, why, <laughs> but right. I think people know who we're fighting for. We're fighting for the working people. We're fighting for oppressed people and we're fighting for diverse people and we're fighting to end police brutality and close the wage gap and make sure that we all start on a level playing field. So uh, I'm honored that, that our campaign um, and our message is is clicking with so many people and honored to build those relationships with people. I know I have like a very personal dialogue going with a lot of people on Twitter all the time, and I love being so directly connected with constituents. Um, so you have a I'm, very I'm strong support base. I've noticed. Like, compl- obviously, <laughs> I I'm, uh, love love to see all the progressive candidates doing so well. But I noticed specifically your your campaign. Yours and Jamal's are probably the two campaigns I've seen most uh, active online in terms of not just from your own like social media profiles, but just supporters of yours active online. I'm I'm honored. I like, you know, I am an everyday person, so sometimes I just kind of see it happening, and I'm like, why me? But um, I'm honored and I love I love building those relationships with people and I can't wait to fight on their behalf and continue to fight for them. Now, I, I, I didn't really uh, plan on bringing them up, but but you had mentioned there were other challengers. And I just want like say someone is in your district and they go in and they don't want Maloney, but they see three people running. How do they you know what what? Who are the other people running? You know, what, what are they? What makes you different from them as a, a challenger? Uh, I, you know, if I was going in uh, into the, the uh, in your district and I was going to vote, I mean, I know who I'd vote for because I <laughs> am very political. Uh, you know, in in the realm of this, you know, uh, progressive politics. But for someone who isn't, how would you differentiate yourself? Mm. Um, so one of the challengers has a lot of of big dollar donors not corporate pack money but a lot of maxed out donations that come from indiana which is where he's from and just are you running against pete Buttigieg? (laughs) i mean (laughs) (laughs) Uh, sometimes it seems like it (laughs) but um yeah no it he just seems really disconnected with the district and um we were kind of upset. We just caught them like ripping down our posters. What? So, yeah. So, you know, I was hoping that like progressive challengers could be nicer to each other, but here we are. So, um, you know, there's worse things in the world than to lose your posters. But I know our volunteers are spread out throughout the city and have worked really hard to get them up. 
So I was I was very irritated about this, but it's all part of the game. Um, and I know we very staunchly disagree on the approach to passing Medicare for all. Um, I know he calls himself an Obama Democrat, and Oof. he is proposing a, a yeah. <laughs> Proposing a compromise to Medicare for All called Medicare for Kids, in which kids get Medicare for All, but adults do not. So I don't really understand why people who aren't in Congress yet um, would be compromising already. But do they happen to consider uh, a child to be anyone under the age of, like, 65, maybe? <laughs> I, anyone who's alive... I don't know. It's just, um, I don't get it. There's a lot of differences between me and him. And I hope that people realize that. Um, I'm not willing to compromise on the lives of my neighbors who I know are struggling every single day. Is this the, is the challenger you're talking about specifically the one who, who challenged Maloney last time around? Yes. Okay, right, yeah. And had I had I approved of his campaigning that time, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> right, right, yeah, makes sense, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah, because you know, in in other like in Jamal Bowman's district, for example, there was another progressive running, and mm -hmm. then when when the polls started to come out and it started to show that Jamal Bowman had a real chance in beating Angle, uh, uh, they they spoke with each other and they, and they got together and. The other challenge, progressive challenger dropped out to throw his support behind Jamal Bowman. Now, obviously, if if you know that was the case here, you would see something like that happen between the two two well, the progressive challenger and the person who calls themselves a progressive challenger. But from what you said, clearly that's not the case. No, it's it's not even progressive infighting. It's like progressive plus whatever right. <laughs> fighting. Right. Yes. <laughs> so Right. I mean, yeah. listen, you could be someone who, it's, listen, there's a difference to me between someone who even, like a liberal who likes Barack Obama, thought he was a great president. I mean, yeah. the, the presidency is a low bar. So with that considered, <laughs> uh, Obama was a good president with that bar as low as it is, to be quite honest. <laughs> and, yeah. And, uh, I mean, I appreciate that I didn't die. I needed health insurance and I could stay on my parents. And that was a very helpful thing to a lot of people. But I also really highly disagree with um, his immigration policies right. and allowing endless war. Right. So there's a difference between someone who feels that way about Obama, even likes the guy, even doesn't like to criticize him, but then someone who all out goes Obama Democrat. Like that's the person who puts the donut in their Twitter handle. You know the type. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. So Lauren, with with just a few days left to go, what what does a what does a campaign do? Where we're I mean literally down to the wire now. What's what's left to really? What what do you feel like is the the strategy now to to get over that line, and win this primary? Yeah, well we are calling thousands of people a day and reminding them to get out and vote. And if you would like to join us again, please go to act.laurenashkeff.com and sign up for a shift. It matters most right now. And uh, I just, you know, dropped literature off at 20 buildings today. So we're doing reminders. Um, somebody that volunteers with our campaign sent out 4,500 postcards 
on our behalf and um, we're just really spreading the word and I think our third mailer hit people's mailbox today. So uh, if you're tuning in and, and meeting me for the first time, I hope you do consider voting for us and, uh, and everything that our campaign stands for. We're really proud of our race. I, I want to stress, too, to my listeners, uh, whether you're on the podcast, the live stream, whenever you're listening to this, you don't have to live in, in Lawrence District to, to do these things. Like if you, no. can't, if you cannot vote in her district because you don't live there, you know, that's, that's cool. But if you, you know, there's nothing you do unless you move there. I don't think you could even move there really quick at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, you can still help. So uh, I just want to put that out there. Uh, Lauren Ashcraft, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I want you to take this moment right now to plug whatever website, social media handles, anything you would like to plug to, to people so they, they know how to find you or support the campaign. Thank you so much. Well, first of all, thank you again for having me on. And it's such a pleasure to that you're using your platform to highlight our grassroots campaign. So thank you for that. Um, and you can learn more about what I'm fighting for. You can donate, you can sign up to volunteer all at laurenashcraft.com. And if you like some spicy takes on current events, you know, what's going on in the world, um, you can follow me at Vote Ashcraft on any of the social medias, literally any of them, I'm there. <laughs> um, but mostly I'm on Twitter. So follow me interact ask me questions i can't wait to hear from you and let's win this thing together we can really do this it's it's really exciting lauren thank you so much good luck i you know this has been probably a, a once in a lifetime like you know running for office is, is a thing of in itself but you know <laughs> running right now is like something that i don't think people will <laughs> will experience again for another hundred years like hope not <laughs> yeah i mean it's incredible what's been going on so really good luck uh, thank you and uh, uh i maybe next time you'll come on and uh hopefully next time you come on you'll be a representative <laughs> i like this i like this we'll make it happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah take care really appreciate thank you. you coming on thank you so much bye bye-bye Bloop. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is our show, but um, there's another show tomorrow. I told you I was going to put these shows together. I'm going to see about getting uh, Lindsay Boylan on the show again. She said she would like to, to reschedule. Something came up. Totally get it. That's totally, I totally understand. So uh, I'm going to try to reach out and see if we can work something out. But tomorrow I will be back here and hopefully you'll all be back here at youtube.com slash mattbinder. Uh, Twitter at Matt Binder for the Periscope feed, twitch.tv slash Matt Binder. Uh, what else? What else? Uh, Facebook.com, search Matt Binder, you'll find me on there. And I will be talking to two more congressional uh, challengers uh, in New York. Tomorrow we'll be talking about two who are strictly in Queens, one who is running to be the U.S. rep for my own district. So this person. Uh, we'll be talking to someone who, I mean, who could very well be their constituent. So I'm going to be a little bit hard on him because I want to make sure that I'm getting a, a good U.S. rep. You know? 
patreon.com slash mattbinder. Support the show if you can financially. Times are tough. I totally get it. So if you cannot, so if you can monetarily support the show, I really appreciate it. We've, we've, you know, lost a few, uh, patrons. Never, I totally, again, I, I get it. I don't know how many times I, I need to say that, but, but I, I guess that's the guilt in me feeling like I'm complaining when I'm absolutely not. If you can't afford to subscribe to the show via money, don't. Because you can help the show by telling all your friends about it. By subscribing to the iTunes, Google Play, YouTube channels. Leaving an iTunes review. The star review, the written review, it's all very helpful. You could also support this show by telling your favorite YouTuber or podcaster that you want to see them on my show. Excuse me. Them on my show and me on their show. You guys did that. And that got me on the majority port last time, which honestly, that shouldn't be what needs to get me on the majority port. Sam should just be reaching out to me all the time. But I digress. But it's also what got me on the surfs next week. I will be on the surfs next Tuesday. That is the New York primary date. Uh, but I will be on the surfs that day. Um, it will be tons of fun, I'm sure. I'm really looking forward to going on that show. Um, what else? What else? What else? Uh, I'm trying to think. So YouTube.com slash MattBinder, Twitter at MattBinder. Oh, how could I forget you all, the people who do financially support the show? Oh, if you haven't already, you could drop a super chat in there. Uh, I will read just the super chats today. Uh, as you know, this week I'm not doing the members-only show because I'm giving you guys tons of uh, full-blown uh, shows with – oh, wait. Let me uh, remove that Skype logo there. don't need that. Oh. My, my, uh, I don't have my green screen centered. Oh no. Did that fix it? There we go. Okay. You guys saw that, uh, I'll do it again for you. Here we go. Let's, uh, ah, there we go. Uh, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, you just saw my, uh, background without the green screen, uh, chroma keyed. Uh, oh, we do got some super chats. Renee. Check out the Steven Crowder and Street Painter clip, says Renee. I did see that. Um, I'm strongly considering uh, doing something different with these shows. Uh, obviously, we're going to continue doing these, these New York primary shows. I'm having tons of fun. We had Bomita Ahmed, who's running for district leader on Monday. Uh, on, on Monday, we had... Um, um, we're going to have uh, a bunch of shows this week. There's Lauren just on right now. Uh, but I'm, I'm considering other ways to do this show after uh, uh, this week. And I do think, and a lot of you said you would want to see more of those movie shows where we, we, we do a watch-along together for a movie. Oh, of course, it's not always a movie I could play, but putting up clip compilations. And that Steven Crowder Street Painter clip is the perfect sort of candidate for those type of shows. Still do the interviews, still do the right-wing uh, uh, conspiracy theories, the, you know, the bread and butter of the show. But I would like to do those clip shows. So I'm thinking we'll, we'll do start doing those after this week, too. I'll start putting some together. You guys can send me clips you see. It'll be a lot of fun. All right, so without any further ado, Abigail T., Adam Q., Alan B., Andrew C., Andrew H., Angela, R.E.R., Baka, Ben, Benji, Bobby M., Brian S., Brosnan, Champagne Kami, Chris F., Christine H., Cindy G., Colin R., Connor R., C.T., Cul-de-Sac, Cyber Snowstorm, D., Dan K., Dank Uger, Dave K., David Z., Daya, 
Douglas V, Dragon Slayer, Eugene B, Fraz K, Free Hat, FTW, Graham C, Grey Wind, Greg D, Greg D with two G's, Grim, Helmy, Hitesh, Igor, Jack D, Jacob W, Jameson Test, Janelle A, Jasmine H, Jeremy M, JLS, John B, John S, Jonathan B, Joseph H, Joseph R, Joyce M, Justin S, Katie S, Kaushal, Kyle, Lisa D, Mariah, Mark S, Maddie J, Max W, me, Melissa M, Mitch V, Michael B, Michael J, Michael M, Mr. Dinks, NS, Nicole A, Namde Net, Null Style, Odeth, Paul M, Penelope D, Custer, Rad Dad, Remy, Ryan, Scott R, Seth K, Sean H, Sheena A, Silicone Baby, Stephen R, Stephen S, Steve A, Tamni G, Hypervisor, This Is Not Pizza, Tina M, Tom M, Why That Tie Guy, Wootopian, Zach, and Zoe G. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today on the show, on this episode of Doomed with Matt Binder. Making sure there's no other... Okay, we're all good. I will be back here tomorrow, whether you're watching the live stream or the podcast. There'll be a new episode streaming or on the podcast feed tomorrow. Uh, The New York primaries are June 23rd. Uh, You can vote early now if you're in New York. You can mail in your your absentee ballot uh, still if you received one. I believe it is now too late to request one, though. Or you can go in in person on June 23rd. Uh, You know, I think New York is handling the coronavirus very well at this point. Everyone is. um, I mean, honestly, I think we're handling it better than most of the rest of the country at this point. We were hit the hardest. Uh, Many people, uh, at least that I've seen, uh, realized they need to you know, take the precautions and everyone here wears masks. There's been tons of protests. Everyone wears masks and has hand sanitizer and that stuff is constantly being used and handed out. Uh, there's been no cases connected to the protests. Uh, the Black Lives Matter protests, I should say, um, because there were lockdown protests a couple of months back where those people weren't wearing masks. So, and they quite aren't the same, aren't quite the same, I should say. Um, uh, all right, folks, uh, See you all next time on Doomed.